1: I'm Brian
2: Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Bring on the bear. Stocks enter bear market territory as the S&P falls more than 20% from its record highs hit back on January 3rd. A stock market sell-off and inflation that's yet to peak Possibly forcing the Fed's hand. New calls this morning for a possible 75 basis point rate hike. As stocks fall, so does crypto and the equity assets tied to Bitcoin, Ether, and many more cryptocurrencies. Those details ahead. Plus, Oracle outperforming, a rare outperformer with that stock sharply higher. We'll tell you why that is and what's making it soar in the pre-market. And then later on, Elon Musk. Getting ready to address his soon-to-be staffers at Twitter. It's Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to the show. I'm Dominic in for Brian Sullivan on this Tuesday morning. Let's kick off this with the U.S. stock futures set to rebound After a very rough start to the week, right now you can see the Dow Jones futures are implying a 180-point gain at the opening bell, a 27-point gain for the S&P 500, and the Nasdaq up by 113 points. Now, that's modest, but the bulls might take it as a victory given this sharp selling pressure we've seen. All of this after stocks added to Friday's losses just yesterday with the Dow falling nearly 900 points or 2.8%. That is its lowest close since February of 2021. The S&P falling nearly 3.9%. It is now more than 20% from its record highs, what some traders call bear market territory, that pullback of 20%, closing at its lowest level since January of 2021. Worse still for the Nasdaq, digging deeper into bear market territory, with a more than 4.6% decline just in yesterday's session, seeing its lowest close since September of 2020. But in an effort to bring you some of the good and the bad news for balance, there was some green on the screen at the closing bell. Five, yes, five S&P 500 stocks were able to find some gains at the end of the day. CME Group, Truist Financial, McDonald's, Domino's, and Duke Realty Group somewhat kind of positive fulfilling a few stocks in that territory for the month of june so far Truist is also one of the best performers in financials over the course of the last four weeks so a rare underperformer in a real downtrend for the market now speaking of the financial side of things we have big moves in the bond market it's always important given what's happening with interest rates and banks overall you can see the benchmark 10-year note yield has now backed off ever so slightly from the highs that we've seen remember the highest levels since 2011 now 3.31 percent the two-year treasury note yield 3.28 percent so the inversion not quite there for the two-year 10-year but remember it's been hovering kind of around that area where the two-year note yield could be yielding more than the 10-year. Now, oil prices are also very much in focus here. They've been the momentum trade to the upside for sure over the course of the past year. They saw a bit of a breakdown yesterday, but right now U.S. benchmark crude prices back up to $121.75. That's about two-thirds of a percent advance. World benchmark ice Brent crude futures up $0.86 to $123.15, up three-quarters of one percent. And natural gas prices up three-quarters of one percent as well, $8.67. On to cryptocurrencies, tracking the sharp moves lower for Bitcoin and Ether as the former tests the not 30, but now $20,000 mark. And some traders remarking whether it's a new regime in pricing, a new trading range for Bitcoin being set. Currently, we are down about two and a half percent, 22,570 some odd dollars. Ethereum Ether prices down by three quarters of one percent, $1,218, the last trade there. Well, around the world, we've got more Red Arrows in Asia overnight, but a possible, possible rebound underway in Europe. Let's get a check on all the action. JP Ong is in Singapore with the overnight action in Asia. Juliana Tattlebaum. as you can see, there is in our London newsroom. JP, we will start with you.
1: Thanks, Tom. Asian markets today extending the sell-off also we saw since the start of the trading week. But we're seeing some signs of life and potential hope out in mainland Chinese markets. We'll start off, though, with the losers. And once again, hopes or talk about an upsized rate hike by the Fed later on this week has rattled market sentiment here and has kept the Nikkei 225 lower today. The Japanese benchmark today falling in Tokyo by about 1.3 percent. In fact, the Bank of Japan has expanded and ramped up their bond-buying program to try and defend their yield curve as well. And this, of course, something to tr- take note of. We have the ASX 200 coming back from that uh, extended uh, weekend, but they were met by a 3.5% plunge in Sydney. Not a great Tuesday and not a great return to the markets for Australian equities. The South Korean KOSPI also has a few other things to worry about. Down 0.8%. That trucker strike continues to hit many in- industries in-, in Korea, and a trade association in Seoul war won- that the exports of key semiconductor components will be impeded by this trucker strike and also affect the overseas, uh, the overseas activities of chip-making giants like Samsung. But we go to mainland Chinese stocks, and you're seeing a very impressive rebound from early morning losses. The Shanghai Composite closing 1% higher, and the Shenzhen Bourse limping up after that early pullback up 0.2%. The Hang Seng also closing about flat to the upside in today's session, uh, with the Hang Seng Tech Index also paring back from early losses and making things quite respectable at the Tuesday close. Dom, back to you.
2: JP Ong in Singapore, thank you very much for that. Now to the early trade in Europe with Juliana Tadelbaum in London. Juliana.
3: Dom, good morning. Well, markets have been open for about two hours, and a lot has happened in that window. We started trading higher. Stock 600 at one point was up around 1%, but things have turned south. We've got now red right on the board for the French market, down about 0.5%. The German market down about 0.1%. And just an hour or so ago, we were up about half a percent in Germany. FTSE MIB over in Italy also pulling back, now down about 0.3%. We were in positive territory there as well. The Swiss market has been under underperforming all morning, and it is down about 0.8%, so continues to underperform. FTSE 100 holding on to gains, but even there, we're only up about five basis points or so. From a sector perspective, this um, perhaps will give us a little bit of insight into how traders are thinking this morning. Banks are the clear outperformers. So investors, traders, pricing in the prospect of higher interest rates, not only from the Federal Reserve, but also potentially from the ECB and the Bank of England, with the Bank of England meeting on Thursday. So we've got a a decent bid for the UK banks this morning, propping up that index. Insurance also performing well up about 0.6% oil and gas and telecoms. But outside of those sectors, it is now red. We've got retail underperforming down about 1.2%. Media and industrials all down more than 1% this morning. So Dom, a good start to the trading session, but that positive momentum has faded pretty quickly.
2: All right. Let's hope it doesn't happen this way here. Juliana, thank you very much for that. Investors are preparing for tomorrow's big Fed decision, of course. Wall Street anticipating an even greater interest rate hike than before. A growing list of major banks are now predicting a 3 quarters of a percentage point or 75 basis point increase analysts from JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Jefferies, Barclays all making similar calls for that 75 basis point increase from the Fed this week. Joining me now is Malcolm Etheridge, Executive Vice President of CIC Wealth. Also, Ben Emmons, Managing Director at Medley Global Advisors. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being here with us. Uh, Malcolm, maybe we'll start with you. Is 75 basis points now your base expectation, or do you still think that this Fed sticks with its plan of 50
4: going forward? Yeah, Dom, I I actually think the Fed is probably going to go 75 here, just because uh, wherever this story mysteriously came from, Uh, Monday afternoon, uh, I have to imagine that it's probably based on some insider information. Um, And that's probably the Fed doing what it can to not come out and completely surprise everybody at the meeting uh, Wednesday and get a little bit ahead of what they know ultimately is the announcement. And so I have to imagine that 75 is probably it. However, I've been one of the folks on the network uh, the last few months saying 100 is actually the number we need to go hard and fast to make sure that we signal to the markets just how serious we are. I'll take 75, but to me, 75 is basically the equivalent of you know putting your kid in timeout but telling them, hey, we're going to go get ice cream after, right? Like, you kind of got them to act right, but it's not necessarily all that's needed to get us where we need to be.
2: I mean, timeout and ice cream, I, that doesn't sound very forceful at all, Ben. I, I, this is a situation, of course, where we know that consumer prices – are, yes, at multi-decade highs and a real problem for everybody in America right now. But if they go 75 or even 100, hypothetically, as Malcolm points out, Ben, doesn't that seem like a panicky type move for the Federal Reserve?
5: I don't yeah, it is, a I think, a game of expectations. You know, on Friday, we had the worst combination of inflation and you know, the CPI was worse. And the expectations for the long term out of the Michigan survey or worse too. I think that triggered a lot of these calls for 75 basis points. The Fed has always been about we have to anchor long term inflation and inflation expectations. And that changes, I think that's part of what the story from the Wall Street Journal is also alluding to. Perhaps within the Fed, that's now concern. They have to really get ahead of that. And I think that is, I think, the reason why a large rate hike is about we're trying to manage expectations from here, especially what the people feel about, about inflation going forward. So I think the baseline here is that you go into this meeting with 75 after that, you can again reassess if inflation does start to moderate. And that's, I think, still the trajectory in But that they have to get ahead of the curve is clear based on Friday's data.
2: You know, Ben, could, could I follow up on that? I, I've had a, I mean, I, in, in this chair, I get the chance to talk to a lot of very smart people like you and Malcolm. But Ben, I've had more and more conversations with very smart folks in various parts of the financial and real estate industry who always talk about this idea that, yes, you can still kind of get things going with the economy, yet not send it into recession. But at this point, more and more folks are saying, hey, maybe it would take a recession to calm down inflation. Do you feel, Ben, as though we need to send this economy into recession in order to cure inflation?
5: So recession is never a good solution because as we know it leads to unemployment and therefore leads to more recession more worse economy so i think we want to be careful with talking ourselves into recession or wishing that it is the right solution therefore getting inflation down i think it comes more down to Don that if you manage an interest rate such that you're getting this tightening of financial conditions we say it you know the stock market down and bond yields up to a point where inflation does start to moderate then you you have done your job. I think you can then skirt the recession. I don't think you want to make it a call to have the economy go just by deliberately in a recession and therefore cure the inflation problem. It's just going to take some time here with several series of rate hikes well into next year to get this inflation more long-term under control. I think that's what the Fed will be
2: after instead of a hard landing recession scenario. All right. What's interesting right now is in just the last few moments, what, what, what we've been showing you is charts right now. And for those listening on Sirius XM, uh, what, we, what we're showing is a, a tick higher just in the last few moments or so. And not just the S&P 500 futures, but the Nasdaq futures as well. It's nothing to really write home about. But still, on a day after we've gotten some of the largest losses we've seen in recent memory, maybe the bulls will take it. Uh, Malcolm, if you take a look at the market action right now, a lot of the conversation – has been about whether there's been a kind of bottoming process that you could actually dip your toes into. Do you feel as though this is a time where you could start deploying capital and putting money to work?
4: I don't. I wouldn't actually put money to work here, especially until we get Wednesday's uh, meeting notes and we do know for sure which direction the Fed is going to go. But I say that because I am actually of the opinion we're already in the midst of a recession and we just haven't admitted it to ourselves yet. Right. So we are at a place where the market could fall another 10, 15 percent. I'm talking about the S&P specifically. And I think that it's very important for folks who are looking to deploy uh, new money into the market, at least dollar cost average their way in. Because I think the more bad news comes out, and I do think we're likely to get more negative news after Q2 earnings uh, start to release and we hear just how light companies' uh, profits actually were. We're, we're probably going to have another leg down here. And so I think if you didn't use last week and the week before it as your exit ramp to pull money out of the, the market for whatever short-term needs you might have, you definitely are at risk of us falling another 10 to 15 percentage points in the short term as we try to adjust to new news, the 75 basis points becoming a real thing. Maybe I'm right and we get 100 in the Fed does actually end up surprising us. I know it's unlikely, but let's just say, uh, you know, for, for hypothetical sake here. So I don't think now is necessarily the time to be coming in here and trying to buy this dip. This All is right. a little more than a dip. Yeah, and apparently more to come
2: according to Malcolm Etheridge. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. Malcolm Etheridge, Ben Edmonds, we appreciate the thoughts. Let's now get to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Pippa Stevens is here with those. Good morning, Pippa.
6: Good morning, Dom. Well, in an attempt to further counter China's growing influence, a bipartisan group of lawmakers say they've agreed on a proposal that would give the U.S. government sweeping new powers to block billions of dollars in U.S. investment into China. The concept behind the measure has support within the Biden administration. And shares of Oracle are higher after the company topped earnings estimates. Oracle says revenue increased 5% compared to last year. Results were driven by its cloud infrastructure business, which competes directly with Amazon Web Services and Microsoft's Azure. And SpaceX clearing a key regulatory hurdle for its plan to launch its giant Starship rocket into space from its Texas launch pad. The FAA now says it sees no significant environmental concerns stemming from the Starship base. But regulators are requiring more than 75 actions to reduce the impact to the region. And headwinds do remain, as SpaceX must still meet safety and financial requirements before a launch license is issued. Always amazing video to look at, Dom. Back Rocket to you. Rocket
2: ships always are. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much for those updates there. When we come back on the show, a closer look at the crypto crash and the stocks counting on a rebound. Plus, emerging markets guru Mark Mobius is here. His take on China, the dollar. The dollar what tomorrow's Fed decision could mean for key markets around the world, and a lot of other stuff. A very busy hour is still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this.
1: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
7: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,
2: Welcome back to World Worldwide Exchange. The U.S. dollar is holding near a 20-year high in terms of value as markets brace for even more aggressive Fed rate hikes. The dollar index has gained with yields and as investors seek shelter. It's hit one-month highs on the euro, the Australian dollar, the New Zealand dollar, the Canadian dollar, as well as the Swiss franc, and a two-year high versus the British pound. Let's now bring in Jeffrey Yu, senior market strategist over at BNY Mellon. Uh, Jeffrey, the dollar story has been huge for a long time now because, yes, we know the dollars are in vogue and attractive if we see a big interest rate differential between the U.S. and other parts of the world. But this dollar story, is it going to help the Fed in this situation Tamp down inflation. Is this something that we should be watching as a headwind for companies here in the U.S., especially those with multinational exposure? Uh,
8: So put it this way. Yes, it could be a headwind, but compared to the rest of the world, not as much. Um, The U.S. economy is far less sensitive uh, to um, tightening and financial conditions from the exchange rate compared to trade heavy economies. We're looking at the likes of Switzerland, Japan, Eurozone even, and a lot of emerging markets. Global commodities are priced in dollars. uh, So from their own point of view, stronger dollar in this environment, not good for them at all.
2: So, If that's the case, that's one of the things that we were talking about over the last several weeks with regard to the value of the dollar. This idea that you price so many commodities, gold, crude oil, nat gas, you name it, in U.S. dollars. In the past, from a fundamental standpoint, a rising U.S. dollar value has acted as a headwind for some of those commodities. I'm speaking specifically with regard to crude. Why do you think that the rising U.S. dollar has not put the brakes on some of these commodity markets, the red hot ones?
8: Uh, well, this time around, it's clearly a supply issue and markets are trading uh, like that. These supply issues are not going to go away anytime um, in the, n- the near future. You know, we can have a boost in uh, production you know, from OPEC, OPEC Plus, for example. But these intrinsic um, problems, of the supply and demand imbalances, that's not going to go away anytime soon. And also take China, for example. Um, people talked about China reopening as if it were a good thing. Well, I'm not so sure. Yes, you get uh, um, you know, China reopening. That's good for um, people who export to China. But that's going to lead to an import, a rise in oil demand and also general commodity demand. That's priced in dollars. And that's going to exacerbate the supply issues that we're seeing as well. So right now we're in a tough spot. Central Bank has been saying globally we can do as much as we can. We can raise interest rates. We can't print oil.
2: There's a lot more talk right now, specifically in the last 12 to 24 hours. About this idea that the Federal Reserve here in America has to raise rates more aggressively, specifically by 75 basis points, perhaps even tomorrow. What does that do to the dynamic of the U.S. dollar versus many of those currencies I just reeled off? How does that change the exchange rate going forward? And and will it be a scenario where the U.S. dollar continues to be that kind of safe haven trade, that, that currency of choice, that reserve currency going forward? Um, in the
8: short term, um, yes, um, people want to own dollars. Um, they know that despite valuations, you know things do look cheap elsewhere. Um, but as long as the Fed's driving things, and we're looking at 75, um, but uh, also in terms of terminal levels, uh, the market has to price in the prospect of 4%. Until we get there, I think the dollar is going to stay bid. Uh, but on the other hand, it also opens up scope for the likes of the ECB, S&B, Bank of England to perhaps do a bit more um, as well uh, to support their own currencies, uh, so when was the last time we talked about the Swiss raising interest rates, right? their all target rate, three-month LIBOR um, in Swiss franc, that doesn't even exist anymore. Um, and for the BOE this week, 50 is possible as well. So it really goes both ways. And if the other currencies, of the other central banks can be a bit bolder in pushing for appreciation, letting their own currency strengthen to rate hikes, I think that can help address the balance as well and maybe cap the dollar. But for the time being, I think most portfolio managers, most investors, they want to stay overweight the U.S. dollar. All right. Precedent setting
2: actions, possibly from the Fed. Jeffrey Yu at BNY Mellon. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. Still on deck for the show, digging into the options action with John Najarian and some bullish bets on commodities stocks that are not linked to oil. Plus, Elon Musk reportedly gets set to meet his future Twitter staffers. We've got that full story when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break.
0: Today's big number. billion. That was the total outstanding credit card debt in the U.S. during the first quarter of the year, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, the highest amount ever recorded.
7: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof-of-delivery,
5: And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
2: of a
7: detour.
2: Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We want to bring you a quick market flash on shares of General Motors. The stock is right now trading below its post-bankruptcy IPO price of 33 bucks a share for the first time since October 2020. But it's not just GM. Ford and Chrysler parent company Stellantis also hitting fresh 52-week lows. GM shares are now down more than 46% so far this year. So we are keeping a close eye on that level for GM specifically in a milestone number for those particular shares. Let's now get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good Tuesday morning, Philip.
9: Hey, Tom, good morning to you. starting to feel like summer out there. More than 235 million Americans are set to feel 90-degree days this week. Cities from Minneapolis to Raleigh were under excessive heat warnings and watches on Monday. And a wave of dangerous storms sweeping across the U.S. from the Great Lakes to national parks. All five entrances into Yellowstone are closed through tomorrow, as heavy flooding and rock slides there created some dangerous conditions in the park. Finally, to the NBA Finals, tied up at two games each. The series back in the Bay for a crucial game five. The Celtics erased a 12 point halftime deficit, but Jordan Poole capping off the quarter with a buzzer beater bank shot to put the Warriors back on top, headed into the fourth. And that is when Andrew Wiggins came up big. The All Star delivered a team high 26 points and 13 rebounds. And somehow, Steph Curry did not make a single three pointer. Didn't matter. He was still pumped. The Warriors take game five, 104 to 94. Golden State now one win away from their seventh championship. Something, Dom,
2: that I know delights you. Game yes, six is it, back in Boston Thursday. <laughs> it does. Philip remembers my Northern California roots. Thank you very much, Philip. We appreciate it. You got it. Uh, coming up on the show, a staggering stat on the recent sell off compared to the Great Recession of 2008. Some perspective on deck coming up. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. But first, to check on the biggest losers and winners on the S&P 500 year to date so far here in 2022. Netflix, Etsy and Align, some of the biggest losers in the S&P 500 and Occidental Marathon of Valero Energy. By the way, the top five biggest S&P 500 gainers. No shock. They're all oil and gas companies. We'll be right back after this. A Tuesday turnaround trying to take shape. Futures are pointing now to a rebound after the S&P enters bear market territory, hitting a milestone not seen since the financial crisis. A more aggressive Fed on deck. The central bank apparently eyeing a higher rate hike as its latest policy meeting kicks off today. John Nigerian and Mark Mobius lay out what the strategy shift will mean for your money and investments. And Elon Musk set to come face-to-face with Twitter employees for the first time as his $44 billion bid to take the company private hangs in limbo. It's Tuesday, June 14, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan. So let's kick off this half hour. It's 5.33 a.m. Eastern Time. And U.S. stock futures are positive, despite our markets being in turmoil. You can see the Dow is implied higher by 155 points. The S&P higher by roughly 24 to 25 points. And the Nasdaq implied higher by just about 106 points. Now, it may not seem like a lot, though, but still, we are coming off and trying to rebound after the S&P dipped into bear market territory in yesterday's session. Ahead of the opening bell, the Dow is off more than 17% from its recent all-time high. The S&P 500 is down more than 22% from those levels. And the NASDAQ composite has shed a third of its value since hitting a record high. And check out this stat, cur- courtesy of the folks over at Bespoke Investment Group. From its peak, hit back on January 3rd, the S&P 500 has now seen its market cap fall a whopping 9.3 trillion dollars, with a T, down to around 33 trillion dollars. That's already 1.2 trillion more than the 1.0 or 8.1 trillion dollar drop in market cap that the index saw during the entirety, all of the Great Financial Crisis from late 2007 through early 2009. So not exactly the stats you want to hear with regard to value destruction in the U.S. stock market. Checking the early trade in Europe, it's generally positive, although it's been losing some momentum. And now we've actually swung to some losses with regard to key markets. You can see the German DAX is now off nearly a half a percent. The CAC in France is down three quarters of one percent. Two tenths of a percent decline for the FTSE 100. The FTSE MIB in Italy down half a percent. But the IBEX 35 in Spain clinging on to a Third of a percent gain. Outside of the equities markets around the world, we are watching interest rates key during a Fed week. The two year Treasury note yield is now ticking slightly higher to just a hair below 3.3 percent, and now the 10 year note yield is a hair below 3.32 percent. So just two basis points, two hundredths of a percent, separate the two year yield and the 10 year yield. Let's stick now with the markets and increasing expectations. The Fed is entertaining the idea, possibly of a 75-basis-point hike at its policy meeting as it kicks off today. Now, our own Steve Leesman reporting the Fed may take the more aggressive approach following earlier reports and similar calls from major investment banks, as you can see there, including the likes of Barclays, Goldman Sachs, Jeffries, J.P. Morgan. This development coming after Steve Leisman pressed Jay Powell, the Fed chair, on this idea of an interest rate hike at 75 basis points, right, just in last month's particular meeting.
0: You talked about using 50 basis point rate hikes or the possibility of them in coming meetings. Uh, might there be something larger than 50? Is 75 or a percentage point possible?
2: 75 basis point uh, an increase is not something the committee is actively considering. How times have changed. Let's bring on John Najarian, Market Rebellion co-founder and CNBC contributor. Uh, John, I know that you like to watch the derivatives markets. We went from basically having no real shot at having a 75 basis point rate hike to now certain tools and estimates and odds and probabilities saying that we have a 90 plus percent chance of a 75 basis point hike by tomorrow's meeting conclusion. What does that tell you about just how jittery the market and or the Fed are at this stage?
0: I think it tells you everything, Dom. Uh, Obviously, the Fed is jittery. That 8.6 reading on Friday was just out of the box, terrible. Um, And they need to get uh, their arms around inflation. Um, I, I, I don't think any of us would be surprised to see 75 basis points. It's not that I'm rooting for it, but it's just when when you miss by so much, uh, you know, with the consensus being at about eight point two percent and you come out at 8.6, and prices have only gone up steadily since last Friday. And I mean, prices at the pump, food prices, et cetera. Uh, the Fed is probably going to hit the market pretty hard with
2: something and the market's certainly been reacting to that possibility, Dom. Has the market already reacted to that possibility, John? In other words, have we already priced in this expectation of a more aggressive Fed? Given the fact that we are now in the Nasdaq Composite for the composite down 33% from record highs, 22% for the S&P 500 and nearly bear market territory, so to speak, for the Dow Jones Industrial Average.
0: Yes, I do think it I, I think Friday's action, Dom, and yesterday's action certainly tell you that uh, people were getting to the sidelines and that a lot of the biggest players were probably uh, pricing in that possibility of a 75 basis point move. Um, I, I, I think that we're likely to see three fifties in a row, June, July and September. But the possibility of that 75 up front to try to corral inflation a little bit right now while they can. Damage is already done in the market. I think that's one of the things that the Fed will be discussing is, look, we've already damaged uh, the market by the fact that we're so far behind. If we don't hit it now maybe July and September have to be higher as well.
2: So where where exactly then have you seen traders kind of taking a view on this in the marketplace right now? Are are there places specifically that you're keeping a close eye on? We often turn to you for some of that options action. What what is it showing you right now about where people are placing those bets?
0: Well, last week you and I talked about the VIX, that 50 cent player that uh, bought a whole bunch of upside calls. They've been buying a ton of S&P 500, of qqq and of iwm puts of course the market goes down volatility generally goes up as you know dom but other than that is there is there a spot in the market that people are actually um somewhat optimistic about yes um nickel uh that would be vale v-a-l-e um we've seen big trades in there right at the money the 16 strike and we've also seen the uh uh silver trade for that silver ETF trading very aggressively, Dom, um, buying upside calls in August at about the 20 strike. That's with silver
2: just shy of 20 yesterday. All right. Commodities outside of gold and oil and everything else doing pretty well. John Ejerian, thank you very much. We'll we'll see you soon, sir. Let's go to check on some of this morning's top stories outside the Fed. Pippa Stevens is here with those. Pippa.
6: Well, Elon Musk is set to come face-to-face with Twitter employees when he takes part in an all-hands meeting. That meeting reportedly set to take place Thursday. Twitter CEO announcing the event in an email to staffers on Monday saying they could submit questions for Musk in advance. The meeting will mark the first time the Tesla CEO will speak directly to Twitter's employees since he began his takeover bid back in April and sticking with Twitter, it, along with several other tech companies, are reportedly facing pressure to counter deep fake and false accounts on their platforms. That's according to Reuters. And the European Union is also targeting Google and Facebook in the crackdown. The report says the European Commission is expected to publish an update code of practice On disinformation for the tech companies on thursday which will also lay out the risk for hefty fines if the issues aren't addressed and crypto lender blockfi announcing it's cutting around 20 percent of its staff amid the ongoing collapse in cryptos CEO Zach Prince tweeting yesterday that the company, which is backed by venture capitalist Peter Thiel, has been impacted by a, quote, dramatic shift in macroeconomic conditions. Before the cuts, BlockFi had grown from 150 employees at the end of 2020. To more than eight hundred and fifty. Crypto winter Dom. A lot of headlines around that. Back crypto to you.
2: Crypto carnage for sure there. Now it's hitting the jobs front, sadly. Uh, thank you very much, Pippa, for that. Coming up on the show, more on the continued selling in crypto, as we just mentioned, as Bitcoin falls back below the twenty-three thousand mark. Thirty thousand is already in the rearview mirror at this point. A look at some of the names being caught in the crossfire of the assets continued collapse. Not just it, but all cryptos. Well, white exchange is back after this. The Worldwide Exchange, getting a check now on crypto prices amid the assets ongoing sell off. Bitcoin prices currently right now down about three and a half percent, 22,370. Remember, for the longest time, we were talking about this notion that Bitcoin prices were kind of moving above and below the 30,000 mark. So now some questions about whether or not there's been a new trading range set for that cryptocurrency lower than the 30,000 that we've seen for weeks now at this stage. Ether prices, by the way, down about a percent, so $1,211 per token. Many of these particular cryptocurrencies are taking huge hits on the back of what's happening with not just Bitcoin, but all of the other companies around with it. Now, the recent sell-off is hitting a number of ETFs with big exposure to the Bitcoin ecosystem. The ProShares, the VanEck, the Valkyrie Bitcoin Strategy ETFs are now all down more than 50% or so, for on a year-to-day basis. So keep an eye on BITO, XBTF, BTF, among some of those big ETFs with Bitcoin exposure. A similar story for companies with Bitcoin exposure. Companies themselves, like MicroStrategy, which is down over 70%, Coinbase and Riot Blockchain are down nearly 80% on that year-to-day basis. And Square and PayPal, not necessarily Pure play fintechs tied to crypto, but still payments that use cryptocurrencies and some of those ecosystems are down 60% each as well. So it's fintech. Not just those ones with direct exposure to Bitcoin, but also those ones that operate in the system. Now, if you take a look at elsewhere in the market right now, we talked about the VIX, the volatility index with John Nigerian just this past five or 10 minutes or so. To give you an idea of where we stand right now with the CBOE volatility index, we are at 33. We've actually come down a little bit. We're still hovering near the highest levels of the year, at least on a closing basis. But remember, to give you an idea of how bad it got during the pandemic lows, we were up to 60 to 70 on a closing basis and even higher on an intraday basis. So as you talk about this range that we've been seeing in VIX, that's going to be the volatility regime we've been seeing so far. It might imply if this range still holds that there is a little bit more downside to volatility in the coming weeks. Also checking what's happening here with certain parts of the stock market that are the most hardest hit. We're talking about consumer discretionary, communication services and technology. Why are they important? Because the three sectors together, make up a large, large chunk of the S&P 500. And those three, by the way, are the worst performing sectors on a year-to-day basis. Technology, the biggest sector in the S&P. And then the mega cap stocks that matter. It's Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet, a company, Google. Those three are the biggest in the NASDAQ 100, also the S&P 500 as well, down 25%, 27%, and 26% respectively. So about a quarter of their value. For the biggest stocks in the market shaved and that's not helping things at all well coming on deck for the show stocks looking to put a dent in yesterday's sell-off we've got mark mobius he's laying out the signals he sees of more pain ahead and why emerging markets may be starting to shine as we head out to break though a look at one of your morning's big money movers because you've got shares of oracle here which are higher markedly so 13 percent the company top earnings estimates for its fiscal fourth quarter Oracle says revenues increased 5% compared to last year, driven by its cloud infrastructure business. Oracle shares 13% higher in a down market. Now, throughout the month of June, CNBC is celebrating Pride Month. As we head to break, here is CNBC digital video editor, Justin Famolari.
9: I identify as a transgender man. I lived so closeted in this process for so long. It's a different world today, you know, where being transgender is extremely visible. When I did this process, that was not the case. You know, the goal was to transition and to just be part of society. And I'm so glad that that's changed because it's given me the freedom to be who I am.
2: Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now indicating a slight bounce compared to what happened yesterday at the closing bell. Steep losses, of course. The Dow implied higher by 182 points The S&P up by 27 and the Nasdaq higher by roughly 115. Now, despite those modest gains indicated at the open, they would be a drop in the bucket compared to what Wall Street's been through over the past couple of trading days here. Markets around the world also seeing heightened volatility ahead of tomorrow's big Fed interest rate decision. Let's get some perspective, though. Bigger picture. Joining me now is Mark Mobius, Mobius Capital Partners founding partner. Uh, Mark, good morning. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. I, 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 I wonder in the years that you've been kind of following markets and seeing cycles, not just here in the U.S., but around the world, emerging markets, developed ones. Do you feel as though there's a sense of a bottom building right now, or could things get a lot worse?
10: I think things could get a lot worse. And the main problem, of course, is the cryptocurrencies. Now, this is a very unique situation where billions and billions of dollars have been put into cryptocurrencies and now it's a tail wagging the dog. As you could see uh, Bitcoin goes down, the S&P 500 goes down. So it's a very, very unusual situation. And you've got the millions, if not billions of people following uh, these cryptocurrencies. So uh, it's, it has a big psychological impact.
2: So that psychological impact is interesting that you bring up because we've talked about this notion over this, the past few years, three to four years, where cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin prices and, and, and markets, have been at times either fairly tightly correlated or very loosely correlated to, to the markets overall. As of late, before the recent sell-off in the last couple of weeks, they were starting to lose a little bit of that correlation. But now they're coming back again. Do you feel as though it's cryptocurrencies that really are driving the action? It doesn't seem like it, 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 can, it can reconcile with the way that we look at fundamentals in this market.
10: I really do. I think there is that correlation. It's really interesting when you see the Bitcoin going down, uh, the S&P gap down. You know, that's an unusual kind of behavior. It didn't just go down gradually, it just gap down. That means there was panic in the market. So I think uh, it's, it's a very high correlation.
2: <clears throat> if, if there are gaps, like you say, if there are kind of these dislocations that are developing, it doesn't just have to be these cryptocurrencies versus the market. There, there are gaps happening all over the place. What do you feel as though, are the most compelling opportunities, these dislocations that are being created right now? Are there places where investors and traders should be looking for for opportunities more so than others?
10: I think it's time to start looking at China. I know that China has performed very badly recently, but uh, Uh, The Chinese government's lowering interest rates, not raising interest rates like they're doing in the U.S. And they're trying to pump up the economy uh, so it performs better. And we've reached a real bottom in the Chinese market. So that's one place uh, to look, I would say. In addition, uh, the Indian market, because they're very rapidly going through a transformation as a result of technology. So very interesting thing happening there.
2: Does it bother you at all? Does it give you pause, uh, uh, Mark, this idea that the Chinese government can be so heavy handed one way or the other, either in propping things up or knocking them down? They've shown both sides of that particular coin over the course of the last three or four years. I I mean, a lot of bulls in China got crushed because of the the regulatory concerns there. Do you think that they've learned their lesson, the Chinese Communist Party and the government there?
10: I I don't think they've necessarily learned their lesson. They're still going to try to control the economy Uh, but the bottom line is now they reverse course because they realize that it's gone too far and they have to lighten up on the regulations and if you look at the number of new regulations coming out uh the number has declined dramatically uh, recently in the last 12 months so i think they definitely got the message they've got to change tack and you know in china you've got to look at what the government is doing because they're the ones that are going to control eventually control the market uh and we have to be concerned about what moves they are going to make.
2: Now, the dollar has also been a huge topic for discussion, multi-decade highs on a relative basis to many other countries in terms of the, the currency. Emerging markets, I mean, the conventional wisdom is they, they don't do well when the dollar is this kind of this strong. Do you see that dollar strength going away anytime soon, especially with the interest rate hike path that the Fed is anticipated to make in the coming months and years?
10: No, I don't think the dollar strength is going away. And as you rightly pointed out, emerging markets get hit because all their currencies, almost without exception, a few exceptions, uh, their currencies really uh, get hit. Of course, the Chinese uh, renminbi has been fairly steady, it's weakened against the dollar, but they are pretty much in control of that. And there are a few other currencies around the world in emerging markets that are doing fairly well. But generally speaking, the dollar is going to get stronger and that will not be good for a lot of emerging
2: markets. Uh, and, Mark, before we let you go, uh, the, the Federal Reserve and, and, and Fed Chair Jerome Powell, they have a formidable task in front of them. Do you, in your mind, have confidence in the, in, in the Federal Reserve in, in being able to manage this as best they can to engineer a, so to speak, soft landing for the U.S. economy?
10: I have confidence that they're going to follow their rule book. And you know what that is. Uh, if inflation is 8.5%, 9%, that means interest rates are going to go up to eight and a half, nine 9% because their rule book. Tells them they've got to make interest rates higher than inflation. So, I mean, they've made this mess with printing a bunny the way they did. Now it's going to be very difficult for them to get out of it. And uh, we're going to be going through a lot of crises in the following
2: months. All right. Not, Not very optimistic there. Mark Mobius, thank you very much for joining us to share your thoughts. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Markets are showing some stability, at least for now. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for an exclusive conversation with Aries Management CEO, Michael Arrigetti. That's tomorrow, only here on Worldwide Exchange. Tune in for that. For now, Squawk Box continues our market coverage for these markets in turmoil. Again, trying to find some footing. The Dow implied higher, modestly so. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at
1: 5
5: a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC.